Hey, this is Chris Hour, and I'm the Young Adults Pastor at Grace Outreach Church. God has blessed us to have an amazing young adults ministry called Rise Up, where every week young people get to come together to worship God, to dive into the Word through our small groups, and be a part of a family that believes that God wants to use each of us to grow the kingdom of God. We're about to dive into the scripture that we've been talking about in our small groups. So I hope this podcast encourages you. I hope it builds your faith. And I hope it reminds you that you're beautifully and wonderfully made. And that God has a purpose for your life. And that the best is yet to come. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, I'm excited for uh, this series that we've been walking through the last couple weeks. Uh, I believe that God has brought me to this series in particular um, of focusing on our purpose because I think that's something that you know all of us as believers whether we're uh, new in our walk whether we've been walking with God for a while um, and just about every step in between uh, I think that all of us are always asking the question of God what's my purpose right that God made each of us with this longing um, to be a part of something bigger to be a part of Um, something that's bigger than us and so I think that so much of that uh, in finding our purpose is figuring out and remembering every day uh, who we are who we are in Christ um, and all of the gifts and all of the blessings and all the power that comes with knowing Jesus and so I'm excited for this uh, this series again uh, we started out in Jeremiah and looking at the fact that God uh, knows who we are that God called us before we were even born and that he has a purpose for us Um, And then he made us perfect, every single part of us, all of the little quirks, all of the things we love and all the things that uh, we don't love. Um, God loves all of those, that God actually uses all of those. And then last week we looked at us being called the salt of the earth, to be the light um, in the city built on a hill and that we are called to affect other people. We have so much of us in our culture today, um, we have turned into 007 Christians Um, That's what we called um, believers that are undercover, right? That people don't know that they love Jesus. And we're not called to be like that. We're called to be a light on a hill. We're called to walk into situations and to bring hope and to bring love and to bring peace. And that takes work and it's difficult and it's messy at times. But um, I can say that as um, the leader of Rise Up and the leader of uh, the ministry that I'm in and that we are committed to that messy work of loving others, of loving God, of always getting back up when we fall down and knowing that God is going to perfect what He started in our lives. And so uh, we're going through this series on purpose. Um, We're going to go back to um, the New Testament again, and we're actually going to be looking in Romans. Uh, We're going to be going to the letter of Romans that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, and more specifically, we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 39. And uh, after looking, after studying, um, my guess and my thought is that we're going to break this up into a couple weeks because there's just so much to talk about here, Um, but I'm praying that I can be effective uh, in uh, this this message. And so I'm going to read in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. And again, Romans is a a letter that uh, the Apostle Paul um, wrote to the church in Rome. And again, uh, Paul's writing to this church in Rome that he had never visited before. Um, He was hoping to visit there. And he, in the book of Romans, is essentially laying out the foundations of, uh, of the gospel foundations of following Jesus um, and a lot of the fundamental truths about living a life with Jesus. And so that's where we pick up in this letter, is that Paul is writing this letter to a church. 
and we're going to read verses 31 through 39. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all of those verses, but then I'm going to just focus on that first half today for this message because there's just so many good things in here. But I'm going to read them all and then we're going to go through them in the next couple weeks and really get everything that we can out of this because I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to learn some stuff from the scripture. So Romans chapter 8 verses 31 through 39, it reads this. It says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then can condemn? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, would you pray with me before we dive in? Father, Lord, I thank you for the scripture, God. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for your love, God. I thank you for the fact that you made all of us perfect, God, that each of us has a purpose and a calling, Father. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through this word. I pray that you would allow my words, God, to be effective, God. I pray that you would give me the anointing, God, to speak into the lives of everyone that's listening, Jesus. And I pray that most importantly, God, that you would be glorified, God. God, that you would be glorified as we talk about you, as we talk about your word. And I pray that you would increase our capacity to love and to serve, God, because you are love, Lord, and that's what you've called us to do, Father. So I pray, God, that we would humble ourselves to you, that we would receive the word that you have for us, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to use us to grow your kingdom, God. Lord, I thank you that you're not looking for perfect, God. I thank you that you're just looking for our hearts. So God, we give you our hearts right now in this moment with all of our imperfections, with all of our mess-ups, God, with all of our fears and our confusion and our questions, God. We, we give you that, Lord, and we know that you're going to use us in a mighty way. So God, I thank you. And in your name, God, amen, and amen, and amen. All right, well, you know, I love, I love this scripture, and I think that, you know, I was really excited when God brought me to this scripture, and when he put this scripture on my heart, because so much of what I want to get to in these next couple of weeks is the concept and the idea that part of my purpose is part of who I am, and part of who I am is that I am what God says I am, and in this scripture, God says that we are more than conquerors, hallelujah, that we are more than conquerors. And I want us to get into that for these next couple weeks, but I think that in getting into that, it's important to start uh, at verse 31. You know, And so when we read in verse 31, Paul says, what shall we say in response to these things? Um, and obviously when you read that, um, Paul is referencing the first uh, eight chapters, uh, or the first portion of his letter to the Romans. Again, we added in chapters along the way, but Paul did not write this letter in chapters necessarily. Um, And so Paul is referencing the first part of his letter. Um, And so to even understand what we're talking about with, you know, we're more than conquerors, um, you know, that God's for us, all that good stuff that we love 
to quote, we love to post on Instagram, we love to get tattoos of it because it sounds great. Um, that's all great and I want us to get there, but I want us to start with, uh, what is Paul talking about when he says, what then shall we say in response to these things, right? What, what are the things? Um, and, you know, when we look at the letter of Romans that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, um, we see this overarching theme that Paul is referencing. And for Romans in this letter, the overarching theme is uh, God's righteousness, right? That Paul is laying the foundations for the gospel for this church. He's starting at ground zero. He's starting at the fundamental truths. And he's saying that the fundamental truth of the gospel is God's righteousness. And he focuses on that throughout this, this, this letter. And so, you know, Paul is focusing on the fact that, you know, um, our relationship with Jesus is, is not about us. Uh, it's about God. It's about Jesus. It's about how good he is, not how good we can be. Um, and, you know, I think so much when we focus on our own righteousness, that's when we open the door for anxiety and fear and insecurities and frustration and condemnation. Um, and all of those are uh, present at times because we are so focused on our righteousness. But Paul in this letter is focusing on God's righteousness, right? In chapters one through three, um, there's a theme of Paul kind of laying out um, all people's unrighteousness, right? Both Jews and Gentiles, right? That we are all unrighteous, that we all fall short of the glory of God and the calling that God has on us, uh, which then leads in chapters three through five to God's gift of righteousness, right? The fact that righteousness was given to us through Jesus dying on the cross, and it's a gift that we don't earn, uh, thank God, um, that we receive freely. And then chapters five through eight, we get into God sanctifying his people, right? Sanctifying is just a fancy Christian word for God setting us apart, right? That God has called us as believers, as followers of Jesus to be set apart. Um, contrary to what culture is telling you now, contrary to what uh, your mind might tell you at times, cult, uh, um, counterintuitive to um, something inside you that wants to be loved by people, that uh, you want everyone to like you, um, that God's actually called us to be set apart. God calls us to be different, to be, again, the salt of the earth. Um, and then all of this leads to uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28. So literally three verses, a couple sentences um, before Paul saying, what should we say in response to these things, that Paul says the famous Christian verse that everyone loves, and he says that, and we know that in all things, verse 28, Romans 8, 28 says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, right? And that verse is used so much, and if you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard it, you've probably seen someone with it on their body, um, and it's a great verse, I love it. Um, you know, it's great. I love the part where it says um, that God works all things for the good of those who love him and those that have been called according to his purpose. And I think that that encourages me because I need a reminder uh, more than I care to admit, right? Every single day, right? I need a reminder, you guys, that, that God has called me. Hallelujah. That God has called me. God's called me. When I just even say it, you guys, I can just, I gotta just take a second just to breathe, right? That God has called me, right? Not because of how good I am, right? Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, I believe, uh, it says that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, 
not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and his grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. Right before the ages began, that God gave us, um, and God gave us salvation, and he called us, um, that he called you before the ages began. And so what that means is that God called you before you started reading your Bible. God called you before you started uh, doing the right thing. God called you before you even started going to church. Um, that God had a purpose for you, right? All the way back in Jeremiah, we talked about it already, that God had a purpose for you before you were even born. Not only that, but now he goes a step further and says that God has called you before the ages began, that God had a purpose for you. And he said, hey, I'm going to make this person, right? I'm going to make this person because I have a purpose for them and they need to fulfill that purpose. And so uh, every once in a while, I want you, I want us as a family to refocus ourselves, to take a step back right now as you're listening to this, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're in the car or whether you're anywhere else, <laughs> refocus yourself and, 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 and remind yourself that God has called me. You can just say it out loud to yourself. Say, God has called me for a purpose. And I love that. Um, and I love Romans 8, 28, because it says, we know that all things God works for good, what God works for the good of those who love him and has been called according to his purpose. And the second thing I love about this verse that uh, I really, I love, but as I read it more, um, and as I don't allow myself just to skip over these verses, it, it, it's, it's, it's grown to challenge me. The fact that Paul says that, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, right? That we know in, in all things, in all things God works, in all things God works. And as I start to stop on this verse, it starts to challenge me more because it says all things. And that's difficult for me, honestly, you guys, when, it, when I start reading this verse, um, when I start looking at my life, when I start looking at... Um, the things in my life that have that I've been through, the things in my life that I've struggled with, um, the things that I know people that I love have struggled with. Um, it challenges me as a believer right now to say that all things God works for the good, right? That this is difficult, but I'm encouraged because, again, the author of this letter is Paul, right? The Apostle Paul wrote this letter, and um, Paul does some awesome things in the letters that he writes, and one of the things that he does in one of his letters to the church in Corinthians, different church, he lays out kind of a short snapshot of what Paul has been through in his life. Um, he says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says that throughout his life, he says that he's received uh, 39 lashes five different times. Paul says that three separate times he was beaten with rods. Paul says that he was stoned once um, and also that he had been shipwrecked three different times. And Paul just lays that out for us. And so you see a man that has been through, uh, you know, five, five times he's been through 39 lashes, right? He's been beaten a bunch. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's done all those things as he was living his life for Jesus. And yet the same man that had been through 39 lashes, the same man that had been beaten three times, had been stoned, had been shipwrecked, is the same man that wrote Romans 8, 28, and the same man that says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, that all things. So in other words, that Paul was saying that through all my 39 lashes, through my stoning, through me being beat with rods, through me being shipwrecked, that I know that God worked that for my good. That I know that in all things, God will work it 
for my good. And I think that while that challenges me, I think that it encourages me because I see a man that is standing on this faith that he knows that if God, if my father, if my papa let it happen, that I know that he's going to use it to grow me. He's going to use it to push me. He's going to use it to grow me into this man that I need to be, that while I might not understand it, God's ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. And I trust him that God will take what the devil meant for evil, hallelujah, and God will work it for good. That the things that the devil tried to hurt me, that God's going to use that to grow me. The things that the devil tried to use to take me out, that's going to be the very thing that pushes me into my calling. That's going to be the very thing that pushes me into the purpose and the plan that God has for my life. And Paul says that all things work for the good of those who love God. God, right? And I look at what Paul went through and I said, man, Paul, like you've been through so much and yet you can say that all things work for the good of those who love God. And when I start to read that, you guys, I start to understand. I started to hear from the Holy Spirit and I started hearing him telling me that I need to change my perspective on my problems, that I need to change my perspective on the things that I'm going through. It's not to say, now hear me right now, it's not to say that we're supposed to walk around and people ask you how you're doing and you put that mask and you say, no, you know, all things, you know, all things are good. Like I'm good. Like I'm great. Everything's great. Like, no, I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is I'm, I, I can say by faith, I can say, man, you know, I'm going through some stuff right now. I'm wrestling with some stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with some thoughts in my mind. I'm wrestling with some, with some prayers that I haven't seen answered yet. I'm wrestling with the, the idea that I know I need to walk by faith and not by sight. But also, after all that, I can say, but I know that all things God works together for those who love God right? That I know that I got to change my perspective of my problems, that I need to change my self-talk, right? Because I believe that the devil has been trying to convince some of us that the uh, the pain and the trials that we go through, right? The uncomfortability, the, uh, the pain, the issues, the trials, the things that we can't control, that those things that are in your life, that when those things are present in your life, the devil tries to convince you that that proves that you're not good enough, that that proves that God's not real, that that proves that God doesn't love you, right? But what God told me and what God told me to say to everyone else is that God sometimes leaves the pain, that God sometimes leaves the struggle, that God sometimes leaves the trial, that God lets the attack come through because when we get to the other side of that pain, when we get to the other side of that struggle, when we get to the other side of that season, that that pain, that struggle, that anxiety, the depression, the the fear, all those things are going to be the things that prove to us when we get to the other side that there was no way, right? That so many of us, we have those testimonies, right? That we, we, we went through something back in college or something back when we were young or these things that we were struggling with. And now we're on the other side, praise God, that now we're on the other side of it. We can look back at that. When we talk to other people about it, we can say, man, there was no way that I got through that on my own, right? Like that, right? It's not even like a question, like your pride can't even take over because you are like, I remember where I was. I remember how depressed I was. I remember how anxious I was. I remember sitting there and saying, how is this gonna happen? How is this gonna work out? I remember thinking that there was no way out of it. And then now that I'm on the other side, I can say, man, that was God and I know it was God. And so we can start to change our perspective on our problems when we think of the fact that, okay, God, if you let this through, Lord God, if you 
let this happen to me, Lord, if you allowed this to occur in my life, God, that I'm not going to say it wasn't hard. I'm not going to say that it's not difficult. I'm not going to say that I'm, I don't have questions or doubt, God. But what I'm going to say, God, is I am going to say that I know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, God, that you're going to use this pain. You're going to use this season of uncomfortability. You're going to use this season of doubt and of fear. You're going to use this season of confusion even, God, and you're going to bring joy out of it, God, that you're going to bring faith out of it, God, that so many times our faith is produced by pain and questions and perseverance, God, that we get through that season, God, and on the other side, God, that we get to see your provision, Jesus. And I remember in Joshua chapter 4, there's a story as God was leading the Israelites, um, his, 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 uh, his holy people, into the new land, that they were crossing the Jordan with Joshua, and God told the Israelites to set stones in the Jordan, right, as they passed over into their next season. And, and, and what God tells me, he says that when you go into your next season, he told the Israelites, he said, bring your children back here, and when they ask about what the stones represent, tell them the story. Tell them the story of how I brought you through. Tell them the story of how I brought your people from a place of oppression, a place of, of hurt and of pain into a place of prosperity and a place of love and a, praise, and a place of, of blessings. Um, and, and God was telling the Israelites, he was saying, bring your children back here and tell them the story. And I believe that God does the same thing, the same way that God told the Israelites to put the stones in the river to remind them of what they had been through, the same thing that God does. Sometimes God leaves pain. Sometimes God leaves hurt. Sometimes God lets us go through um, difficult seasons, not because he doesn't care about us, but because he knows this story. He knows the end. He knows what that pain is going to produce, right? And God cares so much about your future. God cares so much about you being the man and the woman that God's called you to be. And so God allows certain things to happen in our lives because one, God knows that we can handle it, right? God doesn't give us anything more than we can handle, but he puts us through that season. He allows us to go through that season because he knows that when you get to the other side, that if you didn't go through that, then you probably would have um, believed it was you. You probably would have believed that you could have done it on your own, but the pain and the trials at times, the very thing that convinces you that it was God, that convinces you that it was a miracle of God and that God is the one that is running our lives. And so God wants us to start to shift our perspective on our problems. And God reminds us in this scripture in Romans that God works all things for those who love him, right? And I love that verse. And as challenging as it is, I think that so many of us focus on, and we always talk about how God works things for our good, right? That God works things for our good, right? You hear preachers preach about it. You hear me probably preach about it, right? That, man, God's going to work it for your good. God's going to work it for your good. But the second half of this verse is really what the Holy Spirit has been focusing me on this week, is, is this verse says that God will work all things for good for those who love him. All right, and so what the Holy Spirit wanted me to focus on this week is he wanted me to focus on the second half, right? He said, and he wants me to focus on, on my love for God, right? That yes, God is going to work things for my good, but the thing that I can control is my love for God. The thing that I can control is my commitment to God. The thing that I can control is my obedience for God, right? I think like 90-something percent of my anxiety that I go through in my life is about things that I can't control. I get anxious when I try to do God's job, right? I get anxious when I try to do God's job. But what I can focus on is my love for God. That is something that I can control. That is something that every single one of us as believers 
can control, right? No matter what we're going through, right? And I don't know what you're going through. Honestly, there are things that people have gone through. There are things that people are going through right now that I cannot imagine the hurt. I can't imagine the pain. And I cannot imagine the difficulty, but what I do know and what I see in scripture is that no matter what we're going through, that if we continue to love God, if we seek first the kingdom of God, that God will add all of these things. God's going to give us what we need. And Paul, being the author of Romans, is no different than us, right? That Paul had been through 39 lashes, right? He'd been through it five different times. Paul had been beaten with rods an inch away from his death. Paul had been stoned once. He'd been shipwrecked three times. And when I read this and when I think about Paul and who Paul was, I'm going to be honest, I got to ask myself, you guys, you know, if, if I had been through what Paul had been through, if I had been through the shipwrecks, if I had been through the stoning, if I had been through the beatings and the lashes, could I still write this letter and say that all things work for the good? those who love him. Could I still say that I love God even after all of that, right? Or is my love as a believer, is my love for God conditional on what he does for me, right? Have I got into a habit of seeking the hand of God instead of the face of God, right? Is my habit that I seek God's hand and then when I don't get it, that I start to question God, that I start to question, is he real because I prayed about something and because it didn't happen, God, right? That I start to ask, could I be like Paul? Could I have the faith of Paul to answer the call of God and then because I answered the call of God for my life I go through pain I go through persecution I go through beatings and all this persecution but it's all a part of God's plan could I still say that I love God and so so much of what I'm questioning so much of what I'm pushing myself to really ask the question of Chris how is your love for God is your love for God has it been conditional in this season right has your love for God slowly started to be conditional on what God's doing in your life or is your love for God simply for the fact because he sent his son to die for you? Is your love for God, is your commitment to God and to his will simply because God sent his son to die for me? Because God works all things for those who love him, right? Who love him. Now notice, notice that the Bible does not say in any translation, you can check the translations, that God did not say in this verse that God works all things for those who are perfect, right? That God works all things for those who are perfect. God does not say that, and I just want to speak that to us, and I know that that might sound obvious to some people, but I think that some people right now, the root of your struggle right now, that you might not see it on the surface, but we are not going for just surface fixes, we're going for the root, and I think the root of so many of our anxieties, the root of so many of our um, uh, yeah, anxieties and um, struggles in our walk with God is because we are still trying to get into a place of perfection, that we are still trying to base God's love for us based on our own righteousness, right? The Bible says that God works all things for those who love him, right? When you look at the Old Testament, I think that one, one man that represents this so well that God's not looking for perfect is David, right? That we see now, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, right? That King David was a man after God's own heart. Well, yes, that's great. David did some amazing things. But I think that something that's important to remember is that the story of David and Bathsheba, right? And that whole story is that um, David was an adulterer as well. Um, that David saw his best friend, not just a friend, not just a, one of the guys he knew, but he saw his best friend's wife 
and uh, he decided that he wanted her, so he slept with his best friend's wife, and then she became pregnant, so David wanted to cover it up, so he decided to send his best friend into the front lines of battle to kill his best friend so that no one would know about what he did. And then his best friend died, and he married his best friend's wife, and that is King David. That is the man that is after God's own heart. And the reason why I tell you that is because that speaks to the volumes that God uses broken people. Hallelujah, that God does not look for perfect. God does not look for somebody that never messes up, but we get so obsessed, if you will, um, we get so focused on being perfect and on our righteousness that we start to get anxious whenever we mess up because we think that God's looking for perfect. We think that God's going to use us once we get our act together. We think that God's going to use us once we stop struggling with that temptation. We think that God is going to use us, that the anointing is going to come on us when we finally figure out all of our stuff. But what God tells us is that God anoints those hallelujah, who he's called, that God uses those who are after his own heart. And David was a man after God's own heart, but David also struggled. David also messed up time and time again. And yet, David, after he had messed up, after he had done all these things, we, we see David in Psalms 37, verse 25, David says, I was young and now I'm old. Right? David says, I've been through my whole life. I've made my mistakes. I have seen God move. And David says, I was young and now I'm old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I think this is so powerful because David, as we remember, David was under the Old Testament. David was under the Old Covenant. And therefore, in the Old Covenant, your righteousness in the Old Covenant was based on your sacrifices. Your righteousness was based on your performance. But now for us... The believers today, as we read this scripture, we need to understand that our righteousness is not from us. Our righteousness is now from Jesus dying on the cross. The fact that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, and now we're covered in the blood of Jesus. We receive the gift of God's righteousness by faith through grace, right? And now our righteousness is through God's righteousness. And so this is amazing news because we believe and we know that when we accept Jesus as our Savior that we um, commit ourselves to loving God that our righteousness is not based on my performance right that I can try my best you know and I want to live a life that's honoring to God I want to live a life that um, pleases the Holy Spirit and I want to follow God's commands through obedience knowing that obedience produces blessings that I know that God honors those who follow him but I also know that my righteousness that God's love for me is not contingent on how how good I do. That God's righteousness for me is, that God's love for me is not based on um, how good I do, the fact that I never mess up. Um, and the problem is that when we start focusing on our own righteousness, when we start focusing and start sliding into the, into the trap that my righteousness is based on my performance, what happens is that gives the devil permission. And I want you guys to hear this because this will absolutely change your life because I believe that when we focus on our own righteousness, that that gives the devil permission to take advantage of us because we don't know who we are. Right? Then when we think that our worth comes from our own righteousness, we forget who we are in Christ Jesus. And so what happens is that we stop believing that we have power over the enemy and that our righteousness doesn't come from me, it comes from God. Right? So if it comes from God and it doesn't come from me, then therefore there's nothing that I can do to take that away. Right? That actually the only thing that gave me the righteousness is not from what I did, that I never earned it, that God gave it to me by sending his son to die for me. All that I need to do is believe that Jesus died, rose again, forgave me for all my sins, and that makes me the righteousness of God. 
right? But when I start believing that my righteousness comes from me, then what happens, I can just tell you the cycle here and I can say that I've been through this cycle over and over and over again. That what happens is that I, you know, try to live a life that's honoring to God and then I mess up somehow and then I hear in my head, the devil speaking to my head that he says, oh, you're no good. You know, you are no good. You keep messing up with this and he fills me with guilt and condemnation and then I start speaking it to myself and say, oh, I'm not good. Oh my gosh, I keep messing up. Man, I'm never gonna figure this out. I'm never gonna get better. Things are never gonna get better. And I start going through a week of shame and condemnation. And then after a while, I uh, you know, build myself back up and I get to the point where I think that I'm good enough again. And then the next day I wake up and I mess up again. And then I go back into the cycle of condemnation and shame and guilt and anxiety, all because I'm focusing on my righteousness instead of God's righteousness, that I'm focusing on my works and, and my performance instead of God's performance, right? Instead of when I mess up and the devil says, you know, you're no good for nothing. I can just, you know, I need to remember that I have power over the enemy, that I need to speak to myself and say, no, I am the righteousness of God because of Jesus, not because of me. So enemy, you need to get underneath me because I am the righteousness of God that no, I'm not perfect, but God's not looking for perfect. God's looking for a man and a woman that is after his own heart. God is looking for brothers and sisters and sons and daughters that are committed to fighting the good fight, that are committed to loving and to serving, that are committed to believing that, yeah, I'm not perfect, but God loves me and that God uses broken vessels and that through my weakness, that's actually actually where God's strength is made perfect, that because I'm weak, because I struggle, because I have temptations, because I have things about me that I don't like, God uses those for his glory. And in that, in my weakness, that is how God is exalted because it shows that it's not based on my performance. It's based on God's love that the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And yes, David was a murderer. Yes, he was an adulterer, but David loved God, right? In 2 Samuel chapter 6, I love this story that it says that David was the king of Israel and that he was bringing the, the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and he had a whole parade for it, right? He was uh, bringing all the musicians and they were all playing and David was in the front. He was dancing. He was magnifying God. He was giving God glory. And the Bible says that David actually danced out of his clothes, right? And um, I'm not saying we should do that. I'm not saying that um, the church should do that. With that being said, I think that what that shows us is that David was undignified, right? That David was magnifying God to the point that his wife actually got embarrassed about him um, and that she started getting frustrated with him. And that's when David said his awesome line of, man, you think that this is embarrassing? right? Like I'm going to be even more undignified than this, that I'm going to worship God, not because um, of what I've done, but David was worshiping God because of what God was doing in his life. David was worshiping God because the ark was following him in Jerusalem and that represented that God's presence was following him. And so, so much of my worship, so much of my magnifying of God is not based on what God is doing for me. It's based on the fact that when I worship God, that God's presence follows me right? And I think that the devil, what he tries to do, the devil tries to remind you of your past. The devil tries to remind you of your problems. The devil tries to get you to focus on the things that aren't going well because he wants to take away your worship. The devil wants you to get you to stop worshiping. Because remember the devil, before he was the devil, the devil was actually a fallen angel, right? The devil is a fallen angel. And he, um, before he was a fallen angel, he was 
um, an angel in heaven. And the Bible says in Revelations that the angels are up in heaven right now as I'm speaking. The angels are up in heaven just singing praises of God, right? They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? That their job is to worship. And so trust me, you guys, the enemy, the devil knows the power of worship because that was his job. Right? The devil knows that when you magnify God, when you press into his presence, when you worship him, even when you're not feeling it, when you worship him and give him a sacrifice of praise, that that worship is actually what ushers you into a supernatural presence of the creator of the universe, the creator of the world, the one that knew you before you were even born. That when you worship him, hallelujah, that that actually shifts things in the spiritual realm, right? That you might not be able to physically see them, but there are things that are shifting. There are strongholds that are being torn down. There are curses that are being broken. There are attacks that are being thwarted. There are there are plans and weapons that were forming, but but they don't prosper because of the saints' worship, right? That things actually don't prosper. Attacks don't prosper in your life because we worship God. So the devil is not after your finances. He's not after your relationships. The devil isn't even after our thoughts. He's not even after our minds. He's not after our bodies. I can tell you that the devil's end goal is that the devil wants to take away your worship. And so what he tries to do is he tries to condemn you. He tries to fill us with guilt right? Verse 34, Paul says in Romans 8, verse 34, Paul says, who then can condemn, right? Who can condemn? And then he says the final answer, he says, no one, right? He says, no one can condemn because again, no one can condemn me because my righteousness doesn't come from me, right? It makes so much sense when you think about it. No one can condemn me because my righteousness does not come from me, right? And then he goes on in verse 35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Right, again, the enemy's goal is not your body, it's not your finances. The enemy's goal is not to, um, you know, make you pay a really big bill. His his goal is not to even have you be anxious. His goal is that he would separate you from from the love of Christ, right? I read this verse, I swear, so many times, and I honestly did not get this, this, this word from the Lord until a couple minutes before I started preaching this with you guys. Verse 35, I always read it as, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? right? I always read it as what shall separate us, but the Bible says who shall separate us, right? Who shall separate us? And I can tell you that the enemy is the one that's trying to separate us from God, right? That his goal is, again, not your finances, none of that stuff, right? Stop thinking that the enemy's goal is to make you sick. The enemy's goal is to make you anxious. The enemy's goal is not to make you anxious. His goal is to separate you from the love of Christ. His goal is to separate you from a relationship with God. And he believes that if he makes you anxious, that he's like, hey, if I get her anxious, if I get her uh, insecure, if I get her frustrated, then maybe she'll stop worshiping God. Maybe she'll stop going to church. Maybe she'll finally say, okay, it's not worth it. I tried. I'm never going to get it right. I'm not righteous. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I don't talk right. I don't look right. I don't have enough friends. I'm going to stop doing it. His goal is to separate you from the love of Christ. But right now in the name of Jesus, I'm going to rebuke that spirit right now over every single one of us that think that we're not good enough, that think that our righteousness comes from us. Hallelujah. And I speak God's righteousness over us. I speak God's anointing over us. And I believe that, that as we read the book of Romans, that we start to understand that it's not our righteousness that makes us righteous. It's God's righteousness. And there's no one that can, that can condemn us. There's no one that can separate us from the love of Christ, right? That Paul figured it out, right? That Paul figured it out at the end of his life. That he said that Paul knew that it's not my job. Hallelujah. That it's not my job to be the righteousness. That it's God's job. That my job is to love God, right? That that is my job is to love God. That it's God's job 
hallelujah to prepare my future, that I don't need to worry about the future, I don't need to worry about even being good enough, that God already took care of that, right? That God's gonna order my steps, he's gonna establish my plans, right? I think that so much of our anxiety, so much of our worry, so much of our struggle comes from us trying to do God's job. That so much of our worry comes from us trying to figure out the future, trying to figure out what God's gonna do, when God, all that God wants us to focus on is to love him, to be committed to him, that even in the hard seasons, even in the difficult seasons, that we are going to be committed to gathering with other believers. We're going to be committed to speaking to ourselves, right? To speaking love and to speak anointing over ourselves to say, no, I am the righteousness of God, right? When the enemy comes and he starts speaking to you, just speak out over him and remember that God has put him beneath your feet and that you have power in your words and you can speak out and say, no, I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, that God has a plan for me that no one, not the enemy, not myself, I can't do anything to separate myself from the love of God. Hallelujah. That's so much I was even looking at that the enemy is the one that separates us from the love of God. But sometimes you God, we're, we're the ones that separate ourselves from the love of God. And right now, I just want to tell you that there's nothing that you can do. Hallelujah, Jesus, Lord. There's nothing that we can do to separate us from the love of God. Hallelujah. There's nothing you can do. There's no, there's no corner you can run to. Hallelujah. There's nothing that you did in your past that can separate you from the love of God, that God loves you, that he sent his son to die for you on the cross. Hallelujah. That he died for you. Hallelujah. And he loves every single part of you. And there's nothing that you can do to separate you from the love of Christ. The Bible says that, that, when, we, that when we confess our sins to one another, when we confess our sins to one another, that God is faithful and God is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that God wants us to confess our sins to each other. God wants us to talk about what we're struggling with because when we do, I believe there's healing in that. I believe there's healing when we talk about that struggle, but there's so much healing when we don't stop there and talking about our struggles, but then we say, man, but like, 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 like we could go to our brothers and sisters and we can say, man, you know, I've been struggling with this. I wrestled with this, but I'm so glad that there's nothing that I can do. Hallelujah. To separate me from the love of Christ, right? Start to add that to, to your, to your confession. Start to add that to your vocabulary, right? Whenever I want to challenge you this week, whenever you start to talk about what you're struggling with, I want you to talk about it, right? First off, please go and talk to a brother and sister that you trust about what you're struggling with. Speak that out, right? Bring the darkness into the light. But then after you're done doing that don't stop there and say man but isn't it glad that there's nothing that I can do to separate me from the love of Christ and I believe that when we do that when we start to understand that it's not by our righteousness but by God's righteousness and we believe that God if I just focus on loving you God if I focus on giving you a sacrifice of praise if I focus on worshiping you God if I focus on just doing uh, what you're calling me to do if I focus on serving God Lord you're gonna establish my plans God, you're going to prepare my steps and I'm going to get to where I need to get to because it's about you, God. It's about your kingdom. It's about your glory. And God, it's about your love. And so you guys, I'm thankful for this book. I'm thankful for Romans. I'm thankful for Paul, for this man thousands of years ago that reminds me that it's not my righteousness, it's God's. And I want you to know that no one can separate you from the love of Christ. That right now in this season, that you would know that God works all things, the easy the hard, the good, and the bad, and the difficult, that God's working it for your good right now. And if you're going through it, hallelujah, that it's going to grow you, that there's going to be fruit, that there's going to be fruit from 
the persecution, from the suffering, and from the questions, and God is going to grow you into the man and the woman that you're called to be. So you guys, I love you, and I'm so thankful for you guys, and I'm excited for what God's going to do. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I would love for you to subscribe to our show. That way you can not only follow what we're studying at Rise Up, but you can also be a part of this family that God's growing to advance his kingdom. If you're interested in joining the family on our Thursday night service, you can visit www.graceoutreachchurch.org and go to the Rise Up page for more details. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on the Rise Up podcast.